Welcome to the Word Theater Short Story Podcast, your weekly access to the best short stories read by great actors, recorded live in the U.S. and the U.K. My name is Cedaring Fox. I'm Word Theater's founder and artistic director. 2023 marks Word Theater's 20th anniversary of presenting live events in Los Angeles, London, and New York, and we have celebrations planned in these three cities all year long. Also, this particular week marks the second anniversary of the Word Theater Short Story Podcast. We sure hope you're enjoying it and will support our work by becoming a patron or enthusiast member. Be sure to get onto our mailing list so you know what's happening. And remember, if you are a Word Theater member, you'll be able to watch beautifully filmed videos of our live events from the comfort of your home if you can't join us in person. Today, I thought it would be fun to go back to the early days when I still had a fact machine. I will never forget the thrill I felt when one of America's most revered playwrights, Arthur Miller, sent me permission to have his short story, Bulldog, performed at Word Theater. I cast Jeff Goldblum, had the world's most memorable rehearsal with him, and then Jeff gave a performance, well, unforgettable. Luckily, we recorded it and are able to share it with you today. It is with great pleasure that Word Theater presents Jeff Goldblum, Reading Bulldog, by Arthur Miller. He saw this tiny ad in the paper. Black brindle bull puppies, $3 each. He had some like $10 from his house painting job, which he hadn't deposited yet, um, but they'd never had a dog in the house. His father was taking a long nap when the idea crested in his mind, and his mother, in the middle of a bridge game, when he asked her if it'd be all right, shrugged absently and threw a card. (laughs) He walked around the house trying to decide And the feeling spread through him that he'd better hurry because somebody else could get that puppy first. In his mind, there was already one particular puppy that belonged to him. It was his puppy, and the puppy knew it. (laughs) He had no idea what a brindle bull looked like, but it it sounded tough and wonderful. Uh, And he had the three dollars though it soured him to think of spending it when they had such bad money worries with his father gone bankrupt again. The tiny ad hadn't mentioned how many puppies there were. Maybe there were only two or three, which might be bought by this time. The address was on Shermerhorn Street, uh, which he had never heard of. He called, and a woman with a husky voice uh, explained how to get there and on which line. He was coming from the Midwood section and the elevated Culver line, so he'd have to change at Church Avenue. He wrote everything down, read it all back to her. She still had the puppies, thank God. (laughs) It (laughs) It took more than an hour, but the train was almost empty, this being Sunday, and with a breeze from its open wood framed windows, it was cooler than down in the street. Below, in empty lots, he could see old Italian women, their heads covered with red bandanas, bent over and loading their aprons with dandelions. His Italian school friends said uh, they were for wine and salads. He remembered trying to eat one once when he was playing left field in a lot near his house, but it was bitter and salty as tears. 
The old wooden train, practically unloaded, rocked and clattered lightly through the hot afternoon. He passed above a block where men were standing in driveways, watering their cars as though they were hot elephants. <laughs> Dust floated pleasantly through the air. The Shermerhorn Street neighborhood was a surprise, totally different from his own in Midwood. The houses here were made of brownstone and were not at all like the clappered ones in his block, which had been put up only a few years before, or in the earliest cases in the 20s. Even the sidewalks looked old, with big squares of stone instead of cement and bits of grass growing in the cracks between them. And he could tell that Jews didn't live here, maybe because it was so quiet and, and unenergetic and... Uh, <laughs> and not a soul was sitting outside to enjoy the sun. Lots of windows were wide open with expressionless people leaning on their elbows and staring out, and cats stretched out on some of the sills, many of the women in their bras and the men in underwear trying to catch a breeze. Trickles of sweat were creeping down his back, not only from the heat, but also because he realized now he was the only one who wanted the dog, since his parents hadn't really had an opinion, and his brother, who was older, had said, what, are you crazy spending your few dollars on a puppy? Who knows if it's even going to be any good? And what are you going to feed it? Well, he, he thought Bones, and his brother, <laughs> his brother, who always knew what was right or wrong, yelled, Bones, they have no teeth yet! <laughs> well, maybe this is soup. He... <laughs> He, he, he mumbled, soup, are you going to feed a puppy soup? Uh, suddenly he saw that he had arrived at the address. Standing there, he felt the bottom falling out, and he knew it was all a mistake, like one of his dreams, or a lie that he'd stupidly tried to defend as being real. His heart sped up, and he felt he was blushing, and he walked on for a half block or so, he was the only one out, and people in a few of the windows were watching him on the empty street. But how could he go home after he'd come so far? It seemed he'd been traveling for weeks or for a year, and now to get back on the subway with nothing? Maybe he ought to at least get a look at the puppy, if the woman would let him. He'd looked it up in the Book of Knowledge, where they had two full pages of dog pictures. And there had been a white English bulldog... Uh, with bent front legs and teeth that stuck out from its lower jaw, and a little black-and-white Boston bull and a long-nosed pit bull, uh, but they had no picture of a brindle bull. When it came down to it, all he really knew about brindle bulls was that they would cost $3. <laughs> but he had to at least get a look at him, his puppy. Uh, so he went back down the block and rang the basement doorbell, as the woman had told him to do. The sound was so loud it startled him, but he felt if he ran away and she came out in time to see, it'd be even more embarrassing. So he stood there with sweat running down over his lip. An inner door under the stoop opened, and a woman came out and looked at him through the dusty iron bars of the gate. She wore some kind of gown, light pink silk, which she held together with one hand, and she had long black hair down to her shoulders. He didn't dare look directly into her face, so he couldn't tell exactly what she looked like, but he could feel her tension as she stood there behind her closed gate. He felt she could not imagine what he was doing ringing her bell, and he quickly asked if she was the one who'd put the ad in. Oh, her manner changed right away. 
and she unlatched the gate and pulled it open. She was shorter than he and had a peculiar smell, like a mixture of milk and stale air. He followed her into the apartment, which was so dark he could hardly make out anything, but he could hear the high yapping of puppies. She had to yell to ask him where he lived and how old he was, and when he told her 13, she clapped a hand over her mouth and said, that was very tall for his age. <laughs> but he couldn't understand why this seemed to embarrass her, except that maybe she thought he was 15, which people sometimes did, but even so... <laughs> He followed her into the kitchen at the back of the apartment, where finally he could see around him, now that he'd been out of the sun for a few minutes, in a large cardboard box that had been unevenly cut down to make it shallower, he saw three puppies and their mother, who sat looking up at him with her tail moving slowly back and forth. He didn't think she looked like a bulldog, but he didn't dare say so. She was just a brown dog with flecks of black and a few stripes here and there, and the puppies were the same. I did like the way their little ears drooped, but, but he said to the woman that he'd wanted to see the puppies, but uh, hadn't made up his mind yet. He really didn't know what to do next, so in order to seem as though he didn't appreciate the puppies, he asked if she would mind if he held one. She said that was all right, and reached down into the box and lifted out two puppies and set them down on the blue linoleum. They didn't look like any bulldogs he'd ever seen. <laughs> But he was embarrassed to tell her that he didn't really want one. She picked one up and said, here, and put it on his lap. He'd never held a dog before and was afraid it would slide off, so he cradled it in his arms. It was hot on his skin, very soft and kind of disgusting in a, thr <laughs> in a thrilling way. She had, had had gray eyes like tiny buttons. It troubled him that the Book of Knowledge hadn't had a picture of this kind of dog. A real bulldog was kind of tough and dangerous, but these were just brown dogs. Uh, he sat there on the arm of the green upholstered chair with the puppy on his lap, not knowing what to do next. The woman, meanwhile, had put herself next to him. And it felt like she'd given his hair a pat, but he wasn't sure because he had very thick hair. The more seconds that ticked away, the less sure he was of what to do. Then she asked if um, he would like some water, and he said he would, and she went to the faucet and ran water, which gave him the chance to stand up and set the puppy back in the box. She came back to him holding the glass, and as he took it, she let her gown fall open, <laughs> showing her breasts like half-filled balloons, saying she couldn't believe he was only 13. <laughs> He gulped the water <clears throat> and started to ha hand her back the glass, and she suddenly drew his head to her and kissed him. And all this time, for some reason, he hadn't been able to look into her face, and when he tried to now, he couldn't see anything but a blur and hair. She reached down to him, and a shivering started in the backs of his legs. Oh, it got uh, sharper until it was almost like the time he touched the live rim of a light socket while trying to remove a broken bulb. <laughs> he, he would never be able to remember getting down on the carpet. He felt like a waterfall was smashing down on top of his head. He remembered 
getting inside her heat and his head banging and banging against the leg of the couch. <laughs> he was almost at Church Avenue when he had to change for the elevated Culver line before realizing she hadn't taken his three dollars. And he couldn't recall agreeing to it, but he had this small cardboard box on his lap with a puppy mewling inside. The scraping of nails on the cardboard sent chills up his back. The woman, as he remembered now, had cut two holes into the top of the box, and the puppy kept sticking his nose through them. His mother jumped back when he untied the cord, and the puppy pushed up and scrambled out, yapping, What's he doing? She yelled with her hands in the air as though she were about to be attacked. By this time, he'd lost his fear of the puppy and held him in his arms and let him lick his face. And seeing this, his mother calmed down a bit. Uh, is he hungry? She asked, and stood with her mouth slightly open, ready for anything, as he put the puppy on the floor again. He said the puppy might be hungry, but he, he thought he could only eat soft things, although his little teeth were as sharp as pins. She got out some soft cream cheese and put a little piece of... <laughs> put a little piece of that on the, on the floor, but the puppy only sniffed at it and peed. Ah! My God in heaven! She yelled and quickly got a piece of newspaper to blot it up with. When she bent over that way, he thought of the woman's heat and was ashamed and shook his head. Suddenly her name came to him, Lucille, which she had told him when they were on the floor. Just as he was slipping in, she had opened her eyes and said, My name is Lucille. <laughs> His mother brought out a bowl of last night's noodles and set it on the floor. The puppy raised his little paw and tipped the bowl over, spilling some of the chicken soup at the bottom. This he began to lick hungrily off the linoleum. He likes chicken soup, his mother yelled happily, and immediately decided he would most likely enjoy an egg, and so put water on to boil. Somehow, the puppy knew that she was the one to follow and walked behind her back and forth from the stove to the refrigerator. He follows me, his mother said, <laughs> laughing happily. On his way home from school the next day, he stopped at the hardware store and bought a puppy collar for 75 cents, and Mr. Schwecker threw in a piece of clothesline as a leash. Every night as he fell asleep, he brought out Lucille like something from a secret treasure box and wondered if he could dare phone her and maybe be with her again. The puppy, which he had named Rover, seemed to grow noticeably bigger every day, although he still showed no signs of looking like any bulldog. Uh, the boy's father thought Rover should live in the cellar, but it was very lonely down there, and he would never stop yapping. No, oh, he misses his mother, his mother said. So every night the boy started him off on some rags in an old wash basket down there, and when he'd yapped enough, the boy was allowed to bring him up and let him sleep on some rags in the kitchen, and everybody was thankful for the quiet. His mother tried to walk the puppy in the quiet street they lived on, but he kept tangling the rope around her ankles, and because she was afraid to hurt him, she exhausted herself following him in all his zigzags. <laughs> it didn't always happen, but many times when the boy looked at Rover, he'd think of Lucille and um, could almost feel the heat again. He would sit on the porch steps, stroking the puppy and 
think of her. And the, and the insides of her thighs. He's, he still couldn't imagine her face. Just her, her long black hair and her strong neck. One day his mother baked a chocolate cake and set it to cool on the kitchen table. It was at least eight inches thick uh, and he knew it would be delicious. He was drawing a lot in those days, pictures of spoons and forks or cigarette packages or occasionally his mother's Chinese vase with a dragon on it, anything that had an interesting shape. So he put the cake on a chair next to the table and drew for a while and then got up and went outside for some reason and got involved with the tulips that he had planted the previous fall, which were just now showing their tips. Then he decided to go look for a practically new baseball that he'd mislaid the previous summer, which he was sure, pretty sure, must be down in the cellar in a cardboard box. He's never really gotten down to the bottom of that box because he was always distracted by finding something he'd forgotten that he'd put in there. He started down into the cellar from the outside entrance under the back porch when he noticed that the pear tree, which he had planted two years before, had what looked like a blossom on one of its slender branches. Oh, it amazed him, and he felt proud and successful. He'd paid 35 cents for the tree on Court Street and 30 cents for an apple tree, which he planted about seven feet away so as to be able to hang a hammock between them someday. <laughs> they were still too thin and young, but maybe next year. <laughs> she, he always loved to stare at the two trees because he had planted them and he felt they somehow knew he was looking at them and even that they were looking back at him. The backyard ended at a 10-foot high wooden fence that surrounded Erasmus Field where the semi-pro and sandlot teams played on weekends. Teams like the House of David and the Black Yankees <laughs> and the one with Satchel Paige who was famous as one of the country's greatest pitchers except he was a Negro and couldn't play in the big leagues obviously. The House of Davids all had long beards. He'd never understood why, but maybe because they were Orthodox Jews, although they didn't look it. An extremely long foul shot over right field could drop a ball into the yard, and that was the ball it had occurred to him now to search for, now that spring had come and the weather was warming up. In the basement, he found the box and was immediately surprised at how sharp his ice skates were. And <laughs> and recalled that he had once had a vice to clamp the skates side by side so that a stone could be rubbed on the blades. He pushed aside a torn fielder's glove, a hockey goalie's glove whose mate he knew he had lost, some pencil stubs, a package of crayons, and a little wooden man whose arms flapped up and down when you pulled a string. Then he heard the puppy yapping over his head, but it was not his usual sound. It was continuous and very sharp and loud. He ran upstairs and saw his mother coming down into the living room from the second floor, her dressing gown flying out behind her, a look of fear on her face. He could hear the scraping of the puppy's nails on the linoleum, and he rushed into the kitchen. The puppy was running around and around in a circle and sort of screaming, and the boy could see at once that his belly was swollen. The cake was on the floor, and most of it was gone. My cake! The mother screamed and picked up the dish with the remains on it and held it high above her as though to save it from the puppy, even though there was practically nothing left. 
The boy tried to catch her over, but he slipped away into the living room. His mother was behind him yelling, the carpet! <laughs> Rover kept running in wider circles now that he had more space and foam was forming on his muzzle. Call the police, his mother yelled. <laughs> Suddenly, the puppy fell and lay on his side, gasping and making little squeaks with each breath. Since they'd never had a dog and knew nothing about veterinarians, he looked in the phone book and found the ASPCA number and called them. No, he was afraid to touch Rover because the puppy snapped at his hand when it got close and he had this foam on his mouth. When the van drew up in front of the house, the boy went outside, saw a young guy removing a little cage from the back. He told him the dog had eaten practically a whole cake, but the man had no interest and came into the house and stood for a moment looking down at Rover, who was making little yips now, but was still on his side. The man dropped some netting over him, and when he slipped him into the cage, the puppy tried to get up and run. What do you think's the matter with him? His mother asked, her mouth turned down in revulsion, which the boy now felt in himself. Eh, what's the matter with him? Is he ate a cake, the man said. <laughs> then he carried the cage out and slid it through the back door into the darkness of the van. What'll you do with him, the boy asked. You want him, the man snapped. His mother was standing on the stoop now and overheard them. We can't have him in here, she called over with fright and definiteness in her voice and approached the young man. We don't know how to keep a dog. Maybe somebody who knows how to keep him would want him. The young man nodded with no interest either way, he got behind the wheel and drove off. The boy and his mother watched the van until it disappeared around the corner. Inside, the house was dead quiet again. He didn't have to worry anymore about Rover doing something on the carpets or chewing the furniture, or whether he had water or needed to eat. Rover had been the first thing he'd looked for on returning from school every day and waking in the morning, and he'd always worried that the dog might have done something to displease his mother or father. Now all that anxiety was gone, and with it the pleasure, and it was silent in the house. He went back to the kitchen table, tried to think of something he could draw. A newspaper lay on one of the chairs, and he opened it, and inside saw a Saks stocking ad showing a woman with a gown pulled aside to display her leg. He started copying it and thought of Lucille again. <laughs> could he possibly call her, he wondered, and do what they had done again? Except that she would surely ask about Rover, and he, he couldn't do anything but lie to her. He remembered how she had cuddled Rover in her arms and even kissed his nose. She'd really loved that puppy. How could he tell her he was gone? Just sitting and thinking of her, he was uh, hardening up <laughs> like a broom handle. And he suddenly thought, what if he called her and said his family was thinking of having a second puppy to keep her over company? Yeah, maybe then he would have to pretend he still had Rover, though, which meant two lies, and that was a little frightening. Not the lies so much as trying to remember, first, that he still had Rover, second, that he was serious about a second puppy, and third, the worst thing, that when he got up off Lucille, he would have to say that, unfortunately, he couldn't actually take another puppy, because why? <laughs> the thought of all that lying exhausted him. Then he visualized being in her heat again, and he thought his head would explode. 
and the idea came that when it was over, she might insist on his taking another puppy, force it on him. After all, she had not accepted his three dollars, and Rover had been a sort of gift, he thought. It would be embarrassing to refuse another puppy, especially when he had supposedly come back to her for exactly that reason. He didn't dare go through all that, and gave up the whole idea. But then the thought crept back again of her spreading apart on the floor the way she had, and he returned to searching for some reason he could give for not taking another puppy after he'd supposedly come all the way across Brooklyn to get one. He could just see the look on her face on his turning down a puppy or, or the puzzlement or worse, anger. Yeah, she could very possibly get angry and see through him, realizing that all he'd come for was to get into her and the rest of it was nonsense. She might feel insulted, maybe even slap him. What would he do then? He couldn't fight a grown woman. Then again, <laughs> it now occurred to him that by this time she might well have sold the other two puppies, which at three dollars were pretty inexpensive. Then what? He began to wonder, hmm, suppose he just called her up and said he'd like to come over and see her without mentioning any puppies. He would have to tell only one lie, that he still had Rover and the family all loved him and so on. He could easily remember that much. <laughs> he went to the piano and uh, played some chords, mostly in the dark bass, to calm himself. Didn't really know how to play, but he loved inventing chords and letting the vibrations shoot up his arms. He played, feeling as though something inside him had sort of shaken loose or collapsed altogether. He was different than he'd ever been, not empty and clear anymore, but weighted with secrets and his lies, some told and some untold, but all of it disgusting enough to set him slightly outside his family in a place where he could watch them now and watch himself with them. He tried to invent a melody with the right hand and find matching chords with the left, by sheer luck, he was hitting some beauties. It was really amazing how his chords were just slightly off with a discordant edge, <laughs> but still in some way talking to the right-hand melody. His mother came into the room full of surprise and pleasure. What's happening? She called out in delight. She could play and sight-read music and had tried and failed to teach him because she believed his ear was too good and he'd rather play what he heard than do the labor of reading notes. She came over to the piano and stood beside him, watching his hands. Amazed, wishing as always that he could be a genius, she laughed. Are, are you making this up? She almost yelled as though they were side by side on a roller coaster. He could only nod, not daring to speak and maybe lose what he had somehow snatched out of the air. And he laughed with her because he was so completely happy that he had secretly changed and unsure at the same time that he would ever be able to play like this again. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Bulldog by Arthur Miller, performed by Jeff Goldblum. 
If you did, please be sure to visit our website, wordtheater.org, to learn how to become a member. And do tell your friends about us. We have no advertising budget and are counting on you, our listeners, to spread the word. We'd like to give a big shout out today to the Los Angeles County Department of Arts and Culture, who helps support Word Theater and this podcast in particular. Thank you, Jonathan Sachs, for composing our theme music. And thank you, Jason Lee, our podcast editor. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Word Theater Short Story Podcast. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. This is Cedaring Fox in Los Angeles. Until next week, signing off.